Yes, sir. Welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland. Another edition of the show live here tonight uh, with the podcast and the simulcast coming off a huge win. Cleveland Browns are now 9-3. and three. You can catch the podcast where all podcasts are available. Uh, the simulcast is sending us out to Facebook Live, Periscope, and YouTube. If you are on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button while you are here. Uh, the website is sick. Go to www.alleyesoncleveland.com. Pardon me. Uh, this is a show where we interview the top sports personalities in the country discussing the pressing issues that face your Cleveland Browns. And tonight we have a terrific uh, guest in that, and his name is John Abbott. Jonathan Abbott, senior analyst at Pro Football Focus, is kind enough to join us to talk all about everything going on with your 9-3 and three Browns uh, playoff picture, uh, what the other AFC North teams are looking like after a rough Monday and Tuesday night. Uh, talk about them as well. Baker Mayfield showing out uh, against the Titans. As the Browns made kind of a statement game here, John, uh, in this Titans game. First of all, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Last time I, we were just a podcast, so now you're now you got to do the video thing too. So welcome back, sir. Thank you. The studio looks good. Yeah, it looks looks really cool. So happy to be awesome. here. Awesome, awesome. Uh, glad that you could be back uh, with us. Uh, certainly, lots of questions for you. Uh, there's lots of pressing questions around this team. So you know, you watch. Did you watch the game? Did you get a chance to watch the uh, the Titans Browns game? Yeah, I did get a chance to run through it a little bit on uh, Sunday night. So, yeah, a lot of scoring, a tale of two halves. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tale of two halves. Now, the Browns kind of jumped out on them. Uh, I thought it was uh, Stefanski did an excellent job of kind of disguising what they were doing. You know, they went with a lot of heavy sets, a lot of tight ends, looking like they were going to run the ball. Brought the uh, the Titans were just ready to stop the run. They were they were going to stop the run if that's the last thing they did. And Stefanski was ready to throw it on a minute, and it kind of uh, mounted into a uh, a kind of a perfect storm for the Browns there. Now, uh, what does this win mean for the Browns? I mean, going in, they were the eight and three team that hadn't accomplished anything, right? Uh, they were kind of the laughing stock of the eight and three teams. No respect. Nobody really mentioning them in anything like that, right? A lot of disrespect from people around the country. What does this win mean? Is this just? I mean, it was a statement win for Browns fans. That's how we feel. I'm sure the Browns felt that way coming in. What does it mean to you? Yeah. So I kind of look at it. I don't look at it as much as a statement win as you do, but that's also probably because I didn't. I didn't go into it with the disrespect uh, card that the Browns and yeah. fans might have. Um, so, like, yeah, they – I mean, they didn't have a signature win, so to say, but they did beat the Colts at home. Uh, they did lose to the Raiders uh, at home. So, like – I and then they ended up beating the Titans. So, for me, it didn't really change much just in terms of, you know, I think that they're solidly in that middle pack of the AFC, like kind of those top wild card teams, but not quite the top of the AFC. Uh, and I mean, if you're going into a game eight and three, like you only play 
the teams that are on your schedule. And it's the NFL and all wins are difficult to a degree, you know, like to, to just not have those bad losses in there, you know, that there is something to be said about that. Uh, but I still think of them kind of in that middle pack uh, with, you know, there's all those teams have flaws and plenty of teams have flaws in the AFC pretty much other than Kansas city. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of, they're all kind of bunched together there. And there is something to be said for taking care of business on your schedule because not everybody does that, right? Uh, and, and beating the teams that you should beat. Um, so the big, one of the big, big takeaways from this game is the way Baker Mayfield performed in the first half. And you can kind of tie that. Uh, some people are kind of tying that now to, okay, so the Browns had those three weather games, right? Where yep. he only threw for like 150 yards a game. He didn't throw for any touchdowns, but he didn't throw for any interceptions. And he did what he had to do to win the two, second two. Then they beat Jacksonville. So it's kind of like people are kind of saying, okay, well, he's kind of played pretty well here for five straight games with a real exclamation point on the end of that with this game where he looked, uh, you know, amazing, right? Probably yep. maybe the best half of his career. So where are you at with Baker Mayfield and what has changed for him for you, if anything, or is this just kind of a one-off for you? You need to see more. Well, I mean, part of it, I think with Baker is, uh, I mean, there's definitely a difference between the first half and second half. I think that a lot of it can be contributed to, you know, like him getting the ball out quick and him just being on time and being accurate. Baker's best ability or is really just getting the ball out and being accurate with the ball. Uh, so I think part of it, you can kind of look, I mean, look at the defenses he's faced. They aren't the best. I mean, Cincinnati, Vegas, Houston, Philly, Jacksonville, Tennessee, you know, he's not facing world beaters in the secondary there, but Baker has definitely improved his play in, in the last two weeks. And I mean, or not, not the last, the second half of the season, I mean to say, um, those first six weeks, you know, he had 11 touchdowns, uh, and then, in these in week seven through 13, he's also thrown for 11 touchdowns. But the big change here is the interceptions. You know, in that yeah. first stretch, it was from he had through seven, and now that's down to one in week seven through 13. Uh, completion percentage is up 58.3 to 63%. Um, so, does, does for our, from our standpoint, like I looked into whether or not, you know, our grading follows the stats. Like, does it back it up? And it does. So in the first six weeks, uh, you know, he graded out uh, 57.3 for a grade. He had seven big-time throws, which we have kind of those over-the-top, you know, more-than-expected throws, you know, those big throws that get you big plays. And then he has 11 turnover-worthy plays in those first six weeks. Whereas seven through 13 – 90.6 grade with 13 big time throws and three turnover worthy plays. So stepped up the big time throws, almost doubled it. And then, you know, went from 11 to three in terms of turnover worthy plays. Interesting. Uh, That is interesting. So he's definitely played better. You're saying here in the second half. I mean, look at just by grades. I mean, that's a huge jump, right? Yep. So it's it's definitely a huge jump. And he's also getting more help from his receivers, I would say, also. So I looked, 
you know, kind of, I mean, we, the big thing with Baker here this season is we kind of look, you know, he's, it's kind of a tale of two halves of the season. That first half, he didn't look as good and now he's looked a lot better. So, uh, he's getting help from his receivers. He's getting the ball out quicker. So just in those first six weeks, uh, the percentage of yards that came after the catch that he was throwing was at 28.9. And that has in the second half that climbed up. So those weeks seven through 13, it's up to 44% of yards of his passing yards have come after the catch. Uh, he's gotten the ball out much quicker. His average time to throw in that first half was 3.11. And now it's down in the second half to 2.86. Uh, and his average depth of target, uh, his throws beyond the sticks percentage, you know, those have remained the same. So he's not going further downfield. What he's doing is he's getting the ball out quicker. He's getting it to receivers who are doing more with it. Uh, so it's just kind of when you saw him at Oklahoma, what he did a great job at is knowing where to go with the ball, getting rid of it, and letting his guys make plays, being accurate with it so that they could run. And uh, I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so as far as where you stand with him then, let's talk about his future with this team. Is They have out there looming, and this seems like a question I ask every week, but they have out there looming, obviously, this fifth-year extension, right, which is guaranteed now, so you're writing a big check. Where do you, If you're the Browns, do you offer him that extension, uh, or do you need to see more, or where are you at with that? Yeah, so, I mean, I think you have to. Uh, and it really just comes down to numbers. I mean, it, if you look at over the cap, uh, the cap room that the Browns have next year going into it is about $30 million. Uh, I think that a fifth-year extension kicking in is going to be $25 million. Yeah. That's so a huge a huge portion of your salary cap. Uh, and then, you know, what do you do from there? You're kind of strapped. Uh, so... If I were them, what I would do is kind of – I would look into kind of what the 49ers did with Garoppolo. Uh, you try to pay him kind of in those first three years some, some you know, high amount of money, but that reduces that cap hit so that you are also – like you have the ability to spend on other players uh, to put around him. Because I don't think anyone is really looking at Baker and saying he can do it all himself. Uh, so I think that that's what I would try to do. Like, you're definitely not getting rid of him. At 8-3, and three, you're probably going to get uh, two more wins in there at least. You, I mean, so you're looking at, you know, 10-6, and six, uh, you know, 11-5. and five. You're not going to be able to find a quarterback in the draft, really, that you're going to be able to put into the system immediately and be back in playoff contention. And you guys know better than I, like, the playoff drought and how much that sucks. And I mean, as an NFL team, you look at it from their standpoint, you know, there's a big difference in terms of the mentality of the building and, you know, just the whole organization for a team that has a quarterback that they, you know, can rely on versus a team that doesn't like it's, it's night and day um, as you guys definitely know. Yeah, absolutely. So that I mean, I think they would have to do it too. It seems to make sense. There's you don't want to go the route. I mean, how do you train? Even if you decided like, hey, you know, you asked the hard questions about Baker, like, hey, you know, is he maybe he's 
the guy that makes the most sense for next year. But the ultimate question, can he win you anything of significance, right? Well, that's a really tough question. If you, Even if you were to say no, how do you make that transition to another quarterback without setting your organization back? Right. So at that point, and especially with him trending upwards a little now, I would agree with you that that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, certainly. You're listening to All Eyes on uh, Cleveland, uh, the podcast. You can listen to where all popular podcasts are found. And, of course, the simulcast going out here tonight with John Abbott, senior analyst from Pro Football Focus. We're talking Browns uh, at 9-3. Uh, and three. You're 9-3, and three Browns. A lot of fun to talk about. Uh, all right. So Kevin Stefanski, right? Um, for me, he deserves so much of this credit, like – He's scheming people wide open. He's uh, put Baker in a position to succeed. He's so patient with the run game. For me, he his culture, he's so even. Like, even after that win, he just answers everything the same way. He's just the same guy all the time, even, steady. And you've seen, like, examples of, like, how the culture has changed. Even, like, take Higgins for a second, where last year he was going back and forth with Freddie Kickett. Freddie Kitchens this year he doesn't even dress for a couple weeks when he finally does get his chance he catches a touchdown and he talks about how great the coaches are and how much they believed him and he knew he was going to get his chance just like that is like a perfect example for me of like buy-in right like guys are buying in and uh so for me I think he should be a candidate for coach of the year I thought that even before the Titans game where do you come out on that uh, just for coach of the year, I like him a lot as a coach of the year. I think he's kind of in that top three that you look at when you look at, I mean, Tomlin and what they've done just in terms of ripping off as many wins as they have and Flores. I would probably yeah. put him number two behind Flores. And I think part of it is just that, you know, you look at the talent that's on the Browns roster and then you look at the talent that's on the Dolphins roster. Uh, and part of it is kind of skewed because we had Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland last year. Uh, that just ended up being a dumpster fire. But I think right. if, you look, if you look at the talent that Stefanski has to work with versus the talent Flores has to work with, I just think in turn, I mean, part of it is like you have Stefanski's offensive scheme and part of it is you have Flores's defensive scheme. But looking at it, uh, Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick, he came in there with like a high paid Landry and Odell Beckham, a lot of uh, Miles Garrett, the number one overall pick, who's been great for them. Denzel Ward, who's been great for them. There was a lot of talent on that Browns roster. Whereas in Miami, they they were really dealing with you know a couple of cornerbacks that Flores has been a- and been able to scheme a whole defense around and make one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, has a rookie quarterback. Uh, had Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback before that, uh, the one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year and hasn't really changed much this year. So I mm-hmm. think I would look at four as, uh, as my number one, but Stefanski would probably come in at number two for me. Not to say that he's done a bad job. Obviously, that's you know far from the truth, but I just think I would go with four as because of the talent disparity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I understand that, certainly, uh, because the talent was there before, right? So uh, it makes a lot of sense that, that there was some talent there before at the Browns. At the same time, you go and look at, like, hey, 
to overcome what the Browns, like part of overcoming what the Browns are is overcoming the, the stigma in the losing of 20 years. So yep. a lot that that's a lot of it too. So uh, at least from where we sit, I'm sure uh, other people look at that differently. This is a tough question. And I wanted to ask you this. A lot of people ask me this question and, when he first got hurt, OBJ first got hurt, a lot of people would come out with statements like this, right? Like, of course, they're not a better team without Odell Beckham Jr. That's silliness. You know, anybody that says that's crazy. And and I would say, okay, yeah, I get that. But there's a lot of layers to that, right? Like, it's not as simple as just saying they're better or they're worse or whatever. To me, it's like, what its effect on a young quarterback certainly has a lot of layers. Like when I'm watching the game and he hasn't touched the ball in two series, I notice, I'm sure Baker notices, right? I'm sure that affects the way he throws the ball and, and, and targets him. So I think that it's a little bit more layered and complex than that. How would you answer that question? Like how do you explain the di- the difference in how uh, efficient and productive the offense has been without him versus with him? Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is, I mean, the drop-off or the that first six weeks and then Beckham got hurt in week seven just at the very beginning, I believe. Um, so I would say, you know, I mean, just looking at the target share in those first six weeks with Beckham in, he got 28% of the targets um, and he was the top target getter. And now it's Landry getting about the same target share since then at 29%. Yeah. Um, so you look at the time to throw – and yards after catch percentage, which I which I mentioned earlier, you know Baker's getting the ball out quicker and just letting his guys do more work. Whereas with OBJ, as talented as he is, and he's a great player, you know you try to get him the ball. Uh, and whereas his talents are more down the field, you end up holding onto the ball more and try to look his way. And as talented as he is, you know he is not that type of player that's going to go a half without a target and not let your quarterback know about it. Uh, So I think it allows Baker to feel more comfortable just going where the read tells him to go and just kind of, you know, doing what the giving, taking what the defense gives him rather than kind of really focusing in and saying, I need to get Odell the ball because he's so talented. It just allows you to, you know, hit the open guy and give those guys opportunities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I saw a number today here uh, coming across kind of along the same lines here, though, when we talk about, like, this opened the door a little bit for Rashard Higgins uh, to come in, and he's played really well. Uh, I saw a PFF number today. Rashard Higgins, 133.4 passer rating when targeted, uh, is seventh in the NFL uh, among 113 wide receivers who qualify with qualifying targets. That's pretty insane uh, of a number for him. Is he, and now they're talking, so like I, and today, Josina Anderson talking about uh, potentially extending Richard Higgins. He's the only guy with two contracts, by only wide receiver with two contracts with the Browns since yeah. 1999. They're about to give him a third. It's crazy. What do you think about Richard Higgins' performance? Uh, and it's it's weird, right? Like him and Baker just click, right? It's it's just yeah. kind of strange. Yeah, it seems that they just click. Uh, coming out of Colorado State, we actually always really liked how Higgins graded, and he looked really good coming out of Colorado State. And uh, 
we thought of him as kind of a second round pick. Obviously he fell much further, but uh, you know, we, we thought he was a good player and, you know, he hasn't got the opportunities that we would like to see as much in Cleveland, but when he does get those opportunities, he, or at least lately, he's uh, been able to do a lot with them. Uh, I think him and Baker just seem to be on the same page and he just looks like a professional receiver um, you know, gets open and, you know, catches the ball when it's thrown to him, just kind of knows the space. And I think his routes are run extremely crisp. Uh, I just think he's an overall good receiver and one that you'd want to keep around, especially, you know, in this day and age, you're using plenty of receivers and you can't have enough of them, just like you can't have enough right. quarterbacks to cover them. You know, you don't really want to get rid of one who's been productive and that your quarterback seems to be on the same page on. Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, he, he, you know, Baker loves throwing it to him. He seems to have a great IQ. You know, he finds the soft spots in the zones really well. So, you know, Higgins has been uh, uh, every chance he's gotten a chance to play in Cleveland, he's played well. I mean, <laughs> every time they give him a chance, he plays well. It's crazy. So, uh, he's done great, uh, obviously. Uh, let's shift sides of the ball here. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest John Abbott, uh, senior analyst at Pro Football Focus here tonight. Miles Garrett uh, got uh, the vid, and then he came back. Uh, I thought I was worried about him being a little tired, uh, and uh, they took him out for a couple series. But I have never seen a guy get held so much in my life by the Titans. Even I mean, it was crazy. I mean, they and the, there's even footage out there now about him getting held uh and showing him i don't know how you want to how they want to officiate that but it, it was a little ridiculous but either way he got another sack um if he wouldn't have missed any time i'm sure he would be right there with aaron donald i saw a statistic about aaron donald today that his and this is pretty crazy too along the same lines if you're talking about these two that Aaron Donald's uh, PFF grade is the lowest it's been in several years, but still higher than anybody else in the NFL. Yeah. That's insane, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, so, where, but where do you come out as far as Miles Garrett, defensive player of the year? Does he have a, a case, uh, or did he lose that uh, opportunity when he missed uh, some time? I mean, I think he fell when he missed some time, but let's be honest, there's still several weeks to go in the NFL season. It's not over quite yet. Uh, He's right there. We have him. We have, he's, I think I looked at the odds earlier today. He was probably like third about in the odds, uh, betting odds to be defensive player of the year. A lot of those are propped up by stack numbers, which we weigh a little bit less. We kind of look at overall production, how much you're beating the guy in front of you. And it's not to say that Miles Garrett isn't doing that. He's our highest, he's our eighth highest graded uh, defender uh, so far this season. Um, he is our number two highest graded, or I mean, sorry, he's our fourth highest graded defensive player or edge defender uh, on the season. I mean, part of that awards, part of those awards is kind of the narrative of the defense. When you look at last year, you know, we didn't have Gilmore graded as highly. He kind of fell off towards the end of the season. But the narrative was how good the New England defense was and how it was built around the defensive backs. So part of that, when you look at kind of teams that are really succeeding right now and you look at the Steelers' defense, you know, T.J. Watt comes to mind when you look at all of his numbers, the tackle for loss numbers, the sack numbers. And right now, T.J. Watt is 
our our highest graded defender, uh, Aaron Donald, is number two, I think, or they're neck and neck. Uh, so I think when you just look at overall defense, um, I would put those two ahead of Garrett. Uh, but Garrett's right there. It's not that he's playing badly. He's playing extremely well. But he definitely fell back a step or two at this point with the games missed. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, you know, this defense has – I guess they've been opportunistic. You know, at the beginning of the year, they were getting a lot of turnovers. But, uh, you know, my old partner on, on on this show used to say all the time, you know, you can't the, you can't depend on turnovers. It's not sustainable, right? It's just not. And, and I kept saying that when it was happening, and it wasn't. So they got really beat up there for a couple of weeks. They could not get off the field on third down at all. Then they went into their bye week, and they've kind of been better since then. Um, they looked pretty good in the first half against Henry. I thought that Joe Woods came out with a nice, uh, uh, you know, variation. He went with the five-man front against Henry, uh, you know, where they put they moved uh, Sheldon Richardson to the outside and kind of let Vernon play that stand-up, uh, you know, uh, linebacker position so they could get five guys up there. It worked. They slowed him down. Uh, of course, obviously more so if they would have kept running the ball, I'm sure he would have had more yards, but more so dropping 38 on him in the first half or 37 on him in the first half was the reason that he didn't get the ball lot in the second half. But uh, I still think that they're playing better and they've been beat up. So like, you know, Ronnie Harrison comes in. He plays really well. He's yeah. out. Uh, Denzel Ward was playing as best as he had all season. He's out. I don't know if he'll be back on Monday night. I doubt it. You know, he's kind of fragile. He dinged all the time. Greedy Williams hadn't seen a snap all year. Uh, he's, you know, MIA. So uh, Delpit went down at the beginning of the year. There's just there's just been uh, Billings opted out, a big free agent signing, right? Brandon Billings, who's the guy, supposed to be the guy to clog up the middle. They've missed that a lot. You know, they, they don't have a true guy there to do that with Sheldon Richardson and Ogunjobi. Um, you know, so that's hurt them as well, but they still have played good enough to win and better here in the last few weeks. Now, is that some of that, those weather games helping them out and and skewing that a little bit? And then, you know, uh, of course they were just in probably prevent, you know, defense, you kind of, it's kind of hard to take the second half of what happened against Tennessee. I, I mean, you can say, yeah, they gave up a lot of points, but they were really just trying to, you know okay, keep the clock moving, let's keep them in bounds, let's keep, you know what I mean? Um, I guess that was their approach. What what are your thoughts on the Browns' defense? Are they good enough to, you know, help them win a a playoff game, or is this just, you know, they're not there yet? Um, Do they need Denzel Ward to be healthy to be that good? Uh, Where do you you come out on their defense? Yeah, so I was digging into the numbers, kind of looking at the first half or second half. Uh, just into the you know analytics of it so export expected points allowed uh they in those first six weeks they were 18th now in the second half 24th the su- successful play percentage uh based on epa it was 29th stayed at 29th uh pass yards per attempt allowed 18th and now in the second half 14th explosive pass percentage 11th and uh in second half, 19th overall average yards per, per play allowed was 15th, uh, and now it's in second half it was tied for 11th. But that was really only you know 5.3 average yards played per allowed. 
uh, to 5.4. So really when you look into the numbers, they've been about the same as they have first half over second half. Even though second or first half, they allowed 29 points per game. Uh, and now in the second half, they've allowed 24 points per game. But when you really dig into kind of what those numbers mean, points can come and go, obviously, you know, uh, that's more of a fickle stat points per game. But when you really dig into per play uh, statistics, they've been about the same. Uh, as to what you said about Denzel Ward, yes, I really do think that they need Ward. Uh, yeah. be essential for them. And if he needs to sit out, I definitely would sit him out. Uh, the Brown secondary has not been good. I think they've been zoning up a lot to try and, you know, protect those kind of big plays because they they really don't have that many players back there. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think that they need Ward in there. And uh, I think that your eyes may be deceiving you a little bit just when you really dig into the numbers. The Browns' defense hasn't changed, or I don't think that they are really all that different than they were in the first half. Okay. That's understandable, yeah. Uh, I, I get that, and I kind of figured that might be the case a little bit with those weather games uh, that, you know, just were low-scoring games in general. Um, but they are, you know, the one thing they are doing that they weren't doing before, uh, you know, the the break or their bye week is they are getting off the field more on third down, which I would say is helping them a lot. Uh, certainly giving up yardage, though, uh, at the same time. Denzel Ward is going to be huge to get back. He has been excellent when he's been healthy. He is a guy with a fifth-year option. That's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, that, it's absolutely a no-brainer. I was look, he's graded really well for us uh, all three years that he's been in the league. Um, our coverage grades are actually pretty unstable uh, from year to year, and uh, he has been pretty consistent in those three yeah. years. Uh, grading very well he's our 13th highest graded cornerback right now for players that qualify uh is at a 75.5 overall um when you combine the last three years uh for cornerbacks he's our sixth highest graded cornerback in that span when that's extremely impressive for a young player who usually i mean they usually struggle in coverage a lot look at uh okuda this year with the lions can you know been pretty much played off the field because he can't really stand in there. Uh, so I think I think Ward has been everything you would want and more. I think he's a franchise cornerstone along with Garrett uh, for that defense. And no two better positions that you'd want them want those guys at. So. Yeah, corner and defensive end, sure, surely uh, a huge positions. Uh, all right, so um, if you look at uh the future i I mentioned uh harrison before uh that you know he's kind of been i don't have you guys graded how would your grades on ronnie harrison been with us i'm curious about this because i kind of look at i think they like him a lot i think the browns do because he's you know up around the line of scrimmage he's versatile he can cover he can get to the quarterback. He can help in the run game. He's been very good kind of all over the place wherever they've used him. Even when they've gone three safeties at times, he's been the one that they've brought up there to kind of be the guy up the line of scrimmage So or play that Viper role or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so he's been good. He's out. They're hoping to get him back at the very end of the season. Do you think that 
they envision or Andrew Barry envisions a Delpit Harrison safety combination like next year. Uh, I would imagine that they try and do that. Uh, just when you look at, I mean, for us, Harrison has graded out very well so far. It's the best he's graded out in his career uh, so far on the Browns. He was always really? good coverage uh, numbers, but now he's even improved his run defense numbers. Uh, so obviously limited snaps there, but I think he's done really well. But when you look at kind of the safety position as a whole for the Browns, uh, it's really not good outside of Harrison. Uh, I, I like Delpit a lot coming out of college. I thought he's a dynamic playmaker. Um, I think they can do a lot with him. Obviously he needs to be on the field, but um, I think that that would probably be their best option. Uh, maybe something pops up in the draft and they get an opportunity that we are unable to see right now. But uh, I think that that pairing is probably one you go with. I don't know. I mean, the Browns do play a lot of cover three. Uh, I don't know if you kind of see, if I really see Delpit as that high, uh, single high free safety I kind of see both him and Harrison as a better split safety combo and, you know, allowing both to be able to get up to the line of scrimmage and play make, but obviously having two guys that are athletic and um, can go around the line of scrimmage and do a lot of things for you on defense. That's not, it's not a, I mean, that's a good problem to have. So yeah, obviously as you see, you know, injuries happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, that makes a lot of sense because they are in that, you know, that cover three Seattle press bail a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you you wonder how they would they would situate that. I guess that one of the advantages might be that, you know, you can drop one, you know, that gives you a little uh, flexibility in what you're showing the offense at times, certainly. Um So uh, one question here in Cleveland uh, that is <laughs> – it just been nonstop is, you know, Andrew Sindejo, uh has been, since he's been here, Joe Woods, some reason, absolutely loves him. He never leaves the field, really. Uh, and he appears to be really bad, like very reactionary, never anticipatory. Uh, he like in that zone, like, you know. Coaches always say, you know, when you're playing zone defense, you got to, you know, look for work, right? There's not work there. You got to look for work in the zone, right? He's everything just happens right in front of him. It's like you can see the whole play develop right in front of him, and he's just standing there. Uh, it drives me crazy. I think he's terrible. I, I wish they would just. I, I almost wish they would go to anybody else, right, um, on the roster. Is he as bad as we think he is in Cleveland? So in a word, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> so his overall grade this season is at a 43.9, which ranks 63rd out of 65 qualifying safeties for us. Uh, in coverage, he's allowed a 126.4 passer rating, allowed five TDs in coverage. He has not been good this season. Uh, so yes, when you look at the roster, though, I don't, really see a lot it's tough to put you know rookie safeties in just a guy knowing where to be is sometimes helpful but yeah yes, like that is for sure a spot that needs to be improved for the browns and i would envision them looking 
you know, next season for for another option. Uh, but Sendejo has not been good for them. Yeah. I mean, I don't think when they acquired him, they envisioned him being a guy that plays every down. He never did that. I mean, he was always kind of a career backup, right, or a career maybe like uh, dime safety that you would bring in maybe sometimes with three guys. I don't think they ever envisioned this, but Joe Woods, just he just never takes him off the field now. I don't know if he loves him or what or what's going on there, but uh, not that Sheldrick Redwine, I think, is any better as an option behind him because he's not very good. But when they had the opportunity to play Harrison and um, his name is escaping me right now, uh, Carl Joseph uh, next to each other, that seemed to make sense to me. Uh, And even before, you know, they just seemed to have other options at times uh, than playing him all the time uh, back there. Uh, But either way, he, he is... Uh, found the good graces of one Joe Woods. Um, okay, uh, this is a question that I've been asking for a while here, uh, and a couple off-season questions for you. Okay, um, evaluation-wise, Ogan Joby's free agency is very intriguing. Okay, because he's a guy who, at least from what I can take, has been somewhat inconsistent. Um, but he's a, as far as like culture, like a culture guy, I think he's like, means a lot to Cleveland. Like he was there when they lost all those games. He's there when they're winning. He does make big plays at times, but we know D Podesta, the analytics guys are going to make the decision on money based on the analytics. So tell me what they're thinking up top or what D. Podesta is thinking about his free agency because the way I feel about it, if he sees the open market, somebody's going to overpay for him just because of the position he plays and he kind of looks nice on paper sometimes. So maybe I, th- I feel like somebody will pay for him more than the Browns will, right? Like I feel like somebody else will value him more than the Browns will. Maybe I'm wrong there. I think if they wanted to keep him, they probably would want to offer him a contract before he sees the free agency market because I don't think he's coming back. And and I don't know if they're going to do that. Yeah, so, I mean, when you look at it analytically, you know, the most valuable players are you start from the outside in. You look at the cornerbacks, you look at edge defenders, you look at safeties, uh, linebackers and interior defenders are your least valuable for the most part players and you know, I mean, there are standouts like Aaron Donald and like DeForest Buckner, but for the most part, you know, like those are guys, if they're going to get paid big money, you probably look elsewhere. As for Joby, just in terms of, you know, him as an individual, uh, right now he's grading out at a 51.1. Uh, that's mm. the worst of his entire career. He's gone down and been trending down every year since his rookie year. So in my opinion – you let him hit the market. You see what other teams are willing to pay him. But I wouldn't I wouldn't go and give him a big number just so that he doesn't look uh, at other teams. You kind of, you know, with you're going to have to spend money if you're Cleveland on some other guys. You know, like Garrett's extension is going to be kicking in. Denzel Ward, Baker, obviously. So you're going to have to make choices. Uh, part of that is guys like Ogan Joby, and you can't keep all those middle guys. You're going to have to find them somewhere else. So they drafted Jordan Elliott last year, who yeah. kind of fills, yep, fills a similar role 
as Ogunjobi. So you would imagine they've kind of, you know, envisioned this coming down the line. Uh, and, you know, him or Richardson are going to be bigger cap numbers and may need to go. Yeah, you think Richardson could see the door as well? Um, they have Billings, who will be back on the other end of the opt-out for a year. Uh, so you got to take him into account. He's on a rather cheap deal for a one-year deal, and he seems like I, – I thought that was kind of a steal of a signing. He's very effective in there. But Sheldon Richardson just, you know, flashed his value huge in that Tennessee game, right? Like he played an incredible game. At least it, it appeared that way. Um, I don't know what the numbers say, but it appeared that he played really well. You know, he stripped Derrick Henry first fumble in a year. You know, he got to him in the backfield. Uh, they moved him in and out. You know, he can play outside sometimes. But once again, you're talking about $12, $13 million next year for a guy that, like you said, isn't one of those prime positions. You think they let him walk as well, or, or it wouldn't be letting him walk, but I think his guaranteed money is out. Yeah, so I, I was checking out over the cap on Richardson. Uh, it's a great website if you ever want to kind of look into cap numbers. Uh, so for, yeah, basically his dead cap money is about $1 million next year. If you cut him, your savings is about $12 million. Uh, yeah. You look at just kind of, you know, the money there, like, yeah, he could definitely be a cap casualty and it wouldn't cost the Browns all that much. I think a lot of it depends on the market that's out there. I think a trend for Richardson over his career has been he shows out in the big games. Then in you know other games, he might not play as well or as hard, but he definitely shows out on certain plays uh, or and can take plays off, but he, but he definitely shows out in the big games. Um, but like I said, with those numbers rising up, uh, that may be a cut that they have to make. As far as Billings goes, Andrew Billings, uh, yeah, I think he's kind of a different player. He's more of that nose tackle type, uh, whereas like Richardson and Ogunjobi, you're looking to get up the field. Uh, yeah. More just kind of hold the anchor at the point type of player. So it probably depends on what they see in Elliott so far this season, what they see on the market. Uh, when you look at kind of, uh, that last offseason, uh, and Dominican Sue got a one year, $8 million contract. So maybe you can bring Richardson back, but at a lower number, uh, because right now he's just, he's being paid more than he's probably worth. Um, but maybe you, maybe you ask him to take a pay cut and he says, you know, screw off and he, and he leaves. So that's something that you need to take into account all the time. But just in terms of his number and the way he's playing right now, they don't exactly align. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. It, restructuring is definitely maybe an option. Uh, I mean, they did that with two guys this offseason. Andrew Barry was able to, you know, show some finesse there uh, in doing that with uh, – uh, an offensive lineman, and then he did it with uh, um, our other defensive end, uh, who will be gone. I would expect, so if you look into the offseason as far as, like, needs for this team and, and what you would do, and I know a draft is a long way off, but what you would do with a first-round draft pick, I've kind of said to people, I feel like your priority should be to look at 
uh, a long-term solution opposite Miles Garrett on the end. What do you think about that? Well, it's definitely an option. Uh, it depends on kind of what the team values, but I think just overall it's, it's important to not overreact position-wise for the draft. I'm not sure where the Browns are going to be sitting. I'm not sure what players will be available. Um, I would usually, in terms, just try to take the best player at a valuable position. Uh, Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward both are kind of uh, injury possibilities, and you can never have too many cornerbacks in this league. Uh, they Browns got thrown all over in the second half. Uh, their safeties are poor, as we've mentioned, other than, you know, Harrison Delpit, but that's only two guys, both of which can be injured. So you can look there. Uh, and the interior, we talked about Richardson, Ogan, Joby. Uh, I think, you know, kind of when you're looking at players that they're set with, you look at the offensive line, quarterback, running back, uh, receiver, you're probably all set on. But, you know, Looking at tight end, I don't think Hooper's played all that well for them. Uh, and Joku is, I think, is his contract up? I'm not sure, but he may be out the door. Uh, I don't, uh, so there's plenty of options. I think it's just, I think it's important not to overreact positional wise and try to take the best football player uh, at a position that you want or a valuable one. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, of course, you know, best you want to take best available. Just kind of thinking as far as like if if they had their ideal guy sitting there, you would, I think they would hope to maybe fill that role long term with Olivier Vernon playing yep. well at times here recently, but not living up to that part of the trade as a whole. And uh, no, with nobody really behind him anymore, unless you want to say Porter Gustin is a part of your future. Uh, but I don't think he's the answer there as like a starter. I think, you know, as you build your defense from that front, you know, out or whatever, however you want to build it or from the out in. As you, it, But as far as their front four goes, they've saved them a lot this year in being able to provide pressure with with that four so you would like to think that you could bring somebody else in there and help Garrett from all the double teams and whatnot or another talented guy uh seems like a step in the right direction if it was there uh all right let's look at their linebackers who are not very good uh now they did bring in Malcolm Smith uh who has been a, a nice surprise right veteran uh, Super Bowl MVP. They bring him in after the season gets going, and he's been a nice surprise. I think he had a really high grade uh, in the Titans game, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he played well in the Titans game. I think Malcolm Smith, they're kind of piecing it together uh, at linebacker. Yeah. Say. Uh, Goodson has been pretty good for them. Uh, yeah. Ranked 16th overall. Uh, for us in linebackers, he's played the majority of the snaps at linebacker while they're kind of piecing it together with others. Uh, and he's had his best year in coverage for us. Uh, so I think Goodson is kind of your best linebacker there, just in terms of being able to do it all and someone you can count on. And maybe he's not the best player, but you know he's at least holding serve there. Um, whereas kind of uh, you look at the other players at the position uh Malcolm Smith has been good but limited snaps he's been very good in coverage but 
I don't think they like to expose him kind of on early downs where he's not as good in run defense. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, saying it's Sion Takitaki. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's been playing very well in run defense. Uh, he's graded very well, but been poor in coverage. So it seems that their kind, their best route would kind of be, you know, playing them, you know, on downs that make the most sense. Uh, Mac Wilson in limited snaps, but he's been the worst graded defender uh, for the Browns this year. He's grading yeah. out a forty point nine last year. He graded out at a forty one point eight. So it doesn't seem like they can consistently put him on the field because it doesn't seem like he's effective at all. Uh, Jacob Phillips has played somewhat limited snaps. I I was going to ask you, of their young guys, so Mac Wilson, who, you know, he flies around and he's somewhat athletic and you kind of would think like, hey, you know, maybe he can turn into something, but you, then you hear those grades and you're like, oh, my gosh. And, and and sometimes he just is lost out there, right? Like he's not getting it. You know, he had Schobert putting him in, in the right place all the time last year, trying to get him lined up correctly and everything. Uh, Taki Taki, good against the run, terrible in coverage, like you said. Um, the vet, veterans are playing okay, Goodson and Smith. but And then Jacob Phillips has been digged up, but I feel like he probably maybe has the, the most potential of their young guys. He's fast. He yep. tackles well. Maybe he can, you know, learn to cover a little bit better. What do you think? Is he their best young linebacker? If any of these guys stick in the future, you think it it would be Phillips that would be part of that or no? Yeah, I thought Phillips had a lot of potential uh, definitely coming out of college. When you look at young linebackers in general, uh, they don't really play that well. Um, just for us this season, kind of, Phillips is a mate over there at LSU, Patrick Queen. He's been maybe our worst graded defender overall this entire season, getting a ton of snaps with Baltimore. Isaiah Simmons has struggled seeing the field in Arizona. Uh, Just young linebackers are going to struggle. There's just a lot going on. Defenses and offenses are a lot more complex in the NFL than they are uh, in, in college level, even in the SEC. So I think there's a lot to learn, and I think you expose a young linebacker if you play him a lot early. Uh, and the Browns are obviously trying to win there in playoff contention, so I think that that's kind of – I think he has a lot of potential. I think you keep him around, obviously, and you kind of play to his strengths, but I wouldn't throw him in there as kind of a full-time contributor. I would just try to keep piecing it together with veterans until you feel that he's ready. Um, but it's certainly not a position – it's certainly a position where you wouldn't skip over in the draft. You would uh, you'd definitely take a look if you see a player there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they. I feel like at least this organization, I get the feeling that uh, a linebacker has gone the way of, of running back on offense, on defense. It's almost like, okay, let's take care of our secondary and our front – and then whatever we can get here at linebacker, if we can get some young guys that can run, then we'll, we'll make it work. Or, or like you said, piece it together. Uh, it's it's just not valued as much anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, part of that is, like, they these are the ones that are covering uh, running backs, and not a lot of running backs are actually great in uh, the passing game. 
But yeah, I mean, linebackers can look a lot better if you have a defensive lineman getting penetration, creating havoc. Uh, yeah, so linebackers are typically kind of those least valuable members of the defense, what the analytics say. Um, it's obviously valuable if you have a great one, but they are kind yeah. of a dozen now. And I think uh, if you're smart, you're not spending you know hugely valuable resources on a linebacker. You're kind of just trying to piece it together and play to their strengths. Yeah. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland tonight. Special guest, Jonathan Abbott. John Abbott, senior analyst from Pro Football Focus. Just a couple uh, last questions here for you, uh, John. You've uh, been terrific, as always, tonight. Uh, But I want to ask you first about, okay, so we saw the Steelers lose to uh, the Washington football team. Uh, The, you know, they're throwing the ball 50-plus times a game from, like, three to seven yards. Is this a – I mean, do they expect to win that way? I mean, is this they're going to be their formula going forward? Because they can't really run the ball, or maybe they expect to be able to run the ball when Connor comes back, but I, I, I don't see it. Um, I, this is a team that was just undefeated, and, and it's like, hey, you know – First of all, I don't know how they lost to Washington football team. Not That's kind of crazy. And Alex Smith looked really sharp at times. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it blows my mind that they're asking him to do that, but they're not even – they're not pushing the ball down the field at all. It's like everything is – like let's run, you know, 45 slants this game, right? Yep. Or drag routes. Uh, can, can they win that way? I think part of, you know – how well they've done just record wise is you look at their schedule and they played one of the weaker schedules in the NFL, but yeah, I mean, you look at it and they said they still won the games. Um, when you look at the Washington game, I wouldn't completely throw it out. I think it definitely exposed some of their weaknesses. Um, but you know, if you look at the rest disparity there, you know, the, the Steelers played, you know, and had like a less than a week of rest, whereas the, the Washington, you know, they were playing on Thanksgiving, had that extended rest, and that's not insignificant in the NFL, especially this late yeah. season. Uh, I do think you're on to something there with, you know, the way that they're throwing the ball. Uh, I do think it's, I mean, it's shown to be very effective for them. Um, and I don't think it's so much a problem. I think it's playing to their strengths with Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Dion. uh Johnson, I believe, uh, his name's escaping me. I, yeah, the Deontay, Deontay, Deontay. That's it. Uh, yeah. yeah, Deontay Johnson, extremely good after the catch. Uh, so I think, and Ben is very good at getting the ball out quick. Uh, he avoids turnovers really well. So I, I think that that's a good strategy for them. Where the concern is, is yes, they're not taking those shots downfield. So that means they do have to be perfect. And then I think you kind of saw it on Monday with Washington is that when you get down into the red zone on the goal line, the inability to run the ball is concerning. You know, they had a huge stand there where I think, I don't know how many plays it was upwards of like six on the goal yeah. line there where they couldn't punch the ball in. I don't think that changes much with Connor. I don't think Connor is kind of that dynamic runner where you say, Oh, when we get him back, everything will shift. Uh, I do think that there is a problem there. And I think just 
when you look at kind of how teams play, you know, if if the offensive line is used to dropping back, you know, 50-plus times a game, stepping back, stepping back, stepping back, and don't really get to lean on guys, uh, you know, when it comes down to those type of situations later in the game or whenever you, when you need those one or two yards, it's really tougher to get them. Uh, so I think that's hmm. definitely a concern for the Steelers. Uh, and I would look at them kind of more towards the pack than the record really says they are. You know, when you look at the games that they played with the Ravens, obviously one you can kind of almost throw out just in terms of RG3 and Trey Sorley, but, you know, the Ravens defense did really well against them. And then in the other game, uh, turnovers really killed the Ravens, but I thought that they had outplayed the Steelers. They outgained them by a ton of yards in that game. I think it was just a tale of turnovers. But if you were to look at you know them on the whole, I don't think that they that their record you know they're not as they're not as you know far away from the pack as the record says they are. Yeah, it was a um, it was a weird eleven and zero and eleven and one. Now even is a weird for them. I. I I don't know if I feel like they could they can be that good like they could be the best team in the AFC or be right there with Kansas City and maybe they are like a step ahead of everybody but sometimes they they just kind of are flat and and their wide receivers drop a lot of passes and it's sloppy and they just get it done and Tomlin's pissed and <laughs> I feel like that's been like that way for a couple weeks here you know they got the JV uh Baltimore squad and they you know, it was a lot closer than it should have been. I guess maybe we maybe should have seen this uh, upset coming a little bit with that. But in, like you said, the time, you know, they they have been the victim of uh, time and schedule probably the most in the NFL this year. Is basically got their bye week, uh, you know, stolen from them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting uh, stuff there. So the big game here, uh, well, okay, so the Browns got uh, the Ravens on Monday night football. They had week one. They got, you know, beat uh, off coming off the bus. They got they lost in the parking lot before they even got in to the, to the stadium. I mean, uh, both games against these teams, the Ravens and the Steelers, were huge blowouts, like 76 to 13 or something like that. Uh, hoping the Titans changed ways. I think the Browns are a different football team than they certainly were week one, where you had Stefanski who was finishing his insults like three days before the game. Uh, you know, and then they come out. So, and I think even the Ravens are a different football team now. I don't know. If they're just different, but they haven't looked great lately. Even last night, you know, I, there were some people saying, oh, you know, Lamar Jackson looks like he's back and all this stuff. I was unimpressed uh, with Lamar last night. Yes, he ran the ball well, but I expect him to do that. He threw a lot of passes very, very inaccurate. I mean, like balls in the ground behind people that were wide open multiple times. Uh, I was unimpressed. What do you think about the what's going on with the Ravens? You know, the Browns, 
if they're looking at getting in the playoffs, they have a two-game lead on them at this point. They could really crush them with a win on Monday night. Their playoff chances, which Browns fans would absolutely love. We're salivating even just thinking about that possibility. Uh, you get the big stage, everything. You get at Cleveland this time, maybe a little revenge. What do you think about this game, A? And B, you know, what do you think about the Ravens in general at this point? Yeah, so I'll, I guess I'll start with B here, just talking about the Ravens. Um, so I think that part of it is you, you're definitely seeing some regression to the mean. I think Lamar, when you look at our numbers, he was a lot better as a passer, you know, last year than he was kind of ever in his career, you know, even back to Louisville to a point there. Um, the Ravens played with a lead at an extremely high amount throughout the total of last season. Like they were hardly down in any game uh, that they played. Uh, they, I think, so I think part of that is just regression to the mean. They're having to play from behind a little bit more. Lamar is forced into throwing the ball a little bit more. And that's not accuracy is not one of his strengths. Uh, so I think they're kind of forced into that. Uh, I think that their great strength is in their secondary, obviously Humphrey, uh, Marcus Peters, uh, they have they have a pretty great they have pretty and uh, their safeties are solid Clark, um, but I think that they are I think it's just more that they are are a better team than people are giving credit for right now. I don't think it's as you know up and down as people think that it is. You know they still did beat the Colts pretty well. They hung right in there with the Titans. Uh, it was overtime game. I mean, they're a pretty mm-hmm. solid team. I think that they are kind of right in that pack in the AFC. I don't think that there's a lot that separates, you know, a team like the Ravens from a team like the Steelers. I think, the, like I said, the Ravens really just outplayed the Steelers for the most part in those two games. You know, one's kind of a throwaway. But I think that they're kind of right there. Uh, so I wouldn't just discount the Ravens. Also, when you look at their schedule, um, you know, they have, you know, the, I think what it is, it's the Browns, Jaguars, uh, and Bengals. Yeah, so, it's, it's... yeah, so I bet that they look at this game at the Browns and say, you know, we we absolutely drub them and all we, we get past this game and then look what's in front of us. And then, you know, we face the Steelers in the first round and we know what we can do against them and off we go. So just in terms of this game, I, I haven't looked at the line here for Cleveland and uh, Baltimore, but uh, I imagine, you know, Cleveland, it's probably around a pick em. Uh It uh, opened up at Baltimore minus one. So, okay. So yeah, just about. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, I would probably lean Baltimore, I feel like, in this, just off of what we saw earlier in the season. I think that the talent is there on Baltimore. I just feel like people are – it's a lot of recency bias with Baltimore. Uh, They had that weird game up in New England. The monsoon came down. They were down, and Lamar is forced into throwing in this terrible weather. Uh, Their center couldn't snap the ball. Uh, so I think they've had a lot of issues there, but, uh, I think if Baltimore gets up on a team there, you know, their strength really is within that secondary and being able to blitz. Uh, I think that they're an extremely talented team. Uh, I don't think the Browns are as far back as kind of that blowout loss you saw in week one. 
like you said, you know, a lot with COVID changed kind of how you can install an offense or a defense. And um, that happened definitely with Stefanski. And I think Cleveland has gotten a lot better. Um, yeah. I kind of think um, I see, you know, I, I expect most people to go there, right? Like Baltimore, the Browns, Baltimore, you know, that's just the way things have been for so long. Yep. And they're physical, and they'll and they'll beat them, you know. Da 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 da. da. But I, I look at this game like, okay, the Browns should approach this the same way they approach the Titans game. Like, okay, if you can get a lead and force Lamar to have to throw the ball, you'll be in really good shape. And I I wonder about Baltimore's ability against the Browns front to get any pressure on Baker Mayfield. Like, they've had a tough time getting pressure on quarterbacks. Uh, They have to bring a lot of blitzes and stuff like that. You know, so if you can give Baker that time and he plays well again, maybe maybe it's a different outcome. I don't know. I feel like they should stick with that same model, though. I mean, we saw uh, Dallas run the ball against them last night you know more than I thought they were gonna Elliot didn't have a bad night I mean he was getting three four five yards to carry um so I I don't know I think it'll be a I think it'll be a huge game it's a huge game for the Browns organization it's a huge game for the Ravens to try to get in back in the tournament where if they're in the tournament they're just as dangerous as anybody so uh I think it'll be an awesome game on Monday night. Uh, I see, so you, but you, you're leaning uh, Baltimore, and I feel like that's how most people will go, just because they're so used to that. Seeing yeah. the Ravens beat the Browns, it's just. I think, you know, I think the Browns to be effective, they definitely have to run the ball, and I think there's definitely some opportunities there. Uh, the Ravens' defense, their their weakness is definitely in that front that you said. Calais Campbell does not look healthy. He had a calf injury. Um, uh, they just got back Brandon Williams, who's an extremely great run defender, but Patrick Queen has struggled a lot in the middle for them. I really think you have to get the ball, you know, going with the run game uh, if you're Cleveland and try to, you know, hold on to it, get that lead, like you said. Uh, but I don't think that you're really creating a ton of separation there with Landry and uh, and Higgins. I, I really respect uh, the cornerbacks that Baltimore has. I know Humphrey went down late in that Baltimore game. Um, I'm yeah. not sure how severe that is, but he's a great slot defender, and you'd imagine he'd probably be on Landry a lot. They've been, you know, as I said before, you know, throwing the ball a lot too. So that's something to monitor, definitely. Makes sense. It makes sense. You know, you want to get you, the Browns have to be able to get those guys separation. Uh, you know, it'll be Landry and Higgins and and uh, I don't know. You know, they signed Marvin Hall. I don't know if they'll try to use him at all. Uh, their their wide receivers are dropping like flies. Donovan Peoples Jones had a nice game uh, for a rookie. He dropped a touchdown, but redeemed totally redeemed himself. Uh, uh, a little bit later on that, a beautiful route on the uh, up and out there in the Tennessee game. Listen, John, you've been fantastic. Uh, great job always. Uh, every time you come on the show, the information, it just blows my mind. Uh, and uh, you are a tremendous guest. Hopefully we can have you 
back here again in the off season. Maybe uh, talk some pre-draft or something. Does that yeah. sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, talk some pre-draft. Uh, can give you some numbers on some guys that we're looking at when we'll see where the Browns are slotted. See kind of how the draft is lining up, and maybe give you some names to look for. Perfect, man. Perfect. Uh, his name is Jonathan Abbott. John, do you, do you have a Twitter handle? No, I don't have a Twitter handle. Staying away from those crazies. But uh, yeah, if you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna check it, check out Pro Football Focus. Uh, we got a great website. We're throwing up a mock draft simulator. If you wanna check that out uh, for the off season, there's a lot of great articles up there. Uh, if you wanna subscribe and look at our player grades, we have like endless amounts of information there. If you're a football junkie, fantasy. Uh, if you're daily fantasy, if you just like to bet in general, look at point spreads. We have a green line up there where you can look at kind of our models and where we lean on certain stuff. So, yeah, check it out. Pro Football Focus. We have the most information, the best information of anyone out there. Yeah, the best. Uh, my favorite tool uh, I use uh, is, okay, so I play, I, I, I'm a degenerate. I play a lot of uh you know daily fantasy sports but the showdown slate breakdowns that you guys do where you find a game that is like uh i don't know if you if you've seen that where you guys like identify like out of a thousand games that were similar the closest game to the game that's playing that night now the showdown slates are weird because you got to pick a captain and five players and all that but you guys will identify a game that's just like, and then you equal out the players. Like this quarterback is this quarterback in 2016, da da da, and this is the lineup that won. Now the salaries often don't even out, but it gives you a really good grasp on like, okay, what what game flow that you know that game turned out to be, and it gives you a, a good jumping off point. Uh, a tool I love, and then I love you know I mean there's all the refocus stuff, the grades, everything. I mean. It's worth every penny to uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, join Pro Football Focus, and their information is endless, endless information. Uh, just like just like John provided tonight, endless information and tremendous stuff. You're a gentleman and a scholar, sir. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, hopefully we can have you back. Thank you very much. Best wishes to Cleveland out there and your playoff. Hey. Yeah, in, you know, I like to hear that. All right. Good stuff, man. Have a good one, okay? Thank you. You too. Focus. He did a tremendous job. Mikey, get this line out of the middle of my face. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, we are uh, all eyes on Cleveland. I uh, hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with uh, 
um, John is he's a, a wealth of information uh, and uh, always always great to have on the show. All right, let's uh, a couple things here before we get up and out of here on the show. We went uh, long certainly on the interview. Uh, I think we will be back Friday for your Ravens preview. We'll have a special guest for that. So, you know, mark it down, hit subscribe if you're watching on the uh, the rewatch uh, or the uh, replay. Uh, hit the subscribe button and the little bell next to it reminds you when we're on on Friday so you can catch the Ravens preview there. And, uh, you know, uh, we appreciate any support out there from everybody watching on Periscope, Facebook Live, uh, and YouTube. And, of course, you can listen to the podcast where you've always been able to listen to the podcast so where all popular podcasts are found all eyes on cleveland all right uh you can follow all eyes all eyes on cleveland on twitter at all eyes on cleveland you can follow me on twitter at ward on sports and i write at the brownswire.com usa today sports media group all right a couple things the browns Win over Titans gets them to nine and three, but not only that, but to me, it makes them a contender. And I want to urge to Browns fans, and it's not like I can urge it to the team, but I feel like they should be looking at this the same way. You're not promised another opportunity like this in future years. You're not promised this next year or the year after or even the year after that. This opportunity sometimes for teams comes along once every 10 years. For us, now once every since 1994, however many years that has been, this is the first time since then. And although it looks like the arrow is pointed up and that we would be back and, and try to and you want to do that in football it's a game of inches right it's a game of inches and and the ball has to bounce the right way and and your coaching staff has to click and your players have to buy in and you have to have the right personnel to match the right scheme and you can't have you know this drama or that drama and the guys have to like each other and they all have to come together at the right time and they all have to be in it for one cause and they all have to buy into what your your selling scheme wise and uh, philosophy wise and culture wise and then they have to start winning and learn how to win and then get to that next point and then a lot of times in the NFL you have to get lucky you have to get lucky on Sundays to beat teams the ball bounces this way it's the the, the game is decided oftentimes uh, multiple times a season on a couple inches of a tip ball this way or a fumble that way or uh, a foot in and or out of bounds here or there. So to be nine and three is nothing to neglect. You have to treat this like this is maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity. So yeah, call yourself a contender. Take it seriously. Want to win in the playoffs. Enjoy every moment of this as a fan. And as the Browns team, they should be, and I'm sure Stefanski is doing, they should be treating this like it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Because it may be. We don't know. How many teams have we seen the Jacksonvilles of the world or or the Rams of the world make playoff runs and then not get back, right? Not get back at all. It's not, next year is not promised 
the, the way that the schedule lays out and the way that the ball bounces next year could be completely different from what we got this year. You have to take it seriously. In the NFL, so much has to go right for you to win on a weekly basis and to get to a point like 9-3 and three with, your, with your own fucking destiny right in front of you, you controlling your own fate. That so much has to happen to even present you with that opportunity, let alone now, Monday Night Football with the Ravens. How good would that feel? A little sweet dish of revenge, right? But so these opportunities don't come along often. It's been a long time for the Browns to even be in a position like this. It's a magical year. Treat it as such. Don't neglect it. Don't treat it like it's, oh, we're going to be back next year if we just get in and and play competitive or we get in and get a win. I'll be happy. I'll call. You have to treat this like this is a chance to go win a title because how often can you say that a football team starts to click at the right time and the Browns are starting to click at the right time and you, you don't know in those playoff games every year we see an upset. Every year we see a team come in and out-scheme a team or, uh, you know, out-physical a team that we didn't expect because some of these matchups haven't been presented to us yet. And some of these matchups just work out for one team versus another. Some teams match up great against really good teams. I, I think that, you know, Oakland Raiders match up really well with the Kansas City Chiefs. Why? I don't know, but they do, Right. Like, that's weird to me, but they do. Um, and uh, it, you just don't know um, what's going to happen. And this opportunity is not to be neglected by fans or the team. They should totally treat themselves as if they are contenders. Legit, they should go into this game on Monday expecting to beat Baltimore. Uh, and, and I just wanted to reiterate that it's just... I can't say it enough how hard it is for it all to come together in a football season. The buy-in, the coaching, the team peaking at the right time, you know, your quarterback, your defense, injuries, which have plagued the Browns and they're still here. Uh, football is a game of inches and decided by inches every week. It's it's nothing to be neglected and nothing to be scoffed at and, and to, to be taken seriously. Uh, and, and I uh, implore you to do so as such and enjoy these moments uh, as the Browns are uh, winning right now. Um, you don't know when this time is going to come again. It is not promised to you again next season or the season after that. Uh, a couple other things here. Uh, week 15, how about this? The Giants game at the Meadowlands is the, the you know, after the, the Monday night game against the Ravens, the Browns will get back-to-back games in the Meadowlands. Giants game, flex to Sunday night football. How about that? Sunday night football, the uh, Browns traveling to uh, the Meadowlands to play face the uh, New York Giants, who are in first place in the lowly uh, NFC uh, East. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the wins, though, of Giants over Seattle, Washington over Pittsburgh, they're not to be taken lightly. These teams aren't to be taken lightly, whether it's Colton McCoy, 
uh, at quarterback or if it's uh, Danny Dimes. Either way, uh, that that game moved to prime time, baby, and I love that. Prime time, it'll be a lot of fun. So we've got back-to-back prime time games now because of the flex, and I bet you you might get another one week 17. I bet you that Pittsburgh Browns game gets flexed to prime time too. So you may have three and four weeks in prime time here coming down the stretch. I don't think they'll flex the Jets game to prime time, uh, especially after the shenanigans by one uh, familiar to us, certainly. Uh, I wonder what all the people that said, oh, Greg Williams should have been hired as the Browns head coach, not Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens wasn't the right hire, but trust me, neither would have been Greg Williams, uh, shown by his zero blitz uh, in a scenario that teams should have covered 50 to 100 times by this point in the season. What do we do if we're ahead and there's one play left and they have to score a touchdown? You know, you guard the sidelines, make sure nobody can get a quick out of bounds, and we get people deep with the heels on the uh, end zone. Maybe we rush two guys. Well, some teams rush one guy, and, and you just tackle the guy, and the game's over. Uh, not Greg. He sends everybody uh, and lets one of the fastest humans uh, on the face of this earth get one-on-one coverage on the outside. Uh, One of the most egregious play calls I've ever seen, and it feels like that uh, the fix is in there. Uh, You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Uh, I thought couple thoughts here. I thought that on Sunday, MJ Stewart did a nice job for the most part. Now, my complaint with MJ Stewart when they brought him aboard is that he's short and he's slow for a corner, but he can play a little bit up near the line of scrimmage. He plays the run pretty well, and if in you put him in that nickel uh, corner position, he did well. He did well. He did better than Tavier Thomas who was playing out of position. He's a special teams A, should have never been in that position. So MJ Stewart doing that job better than Tavier Thomas, a good solution there moving forward, at least while uh, Denzel is out uh, on the outside. Hopefully get him back. I mean, that would just be so enormous for this this uh, Baltimore game to get Denzel back in the lineup. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the interview with John Abbott of PFF, uh, if you missed it, uh, you know, you can go back and watch it, certainly, uh, here on the All Eyes on Cleveland channel, um, and uh, I'll be posted on my uh, Twitter timeline and the All Eyes on Clee Twitter timeline. You can always go to the website, www.alleyesonclee.com. We are sponsored tonight by betonline.ag and, uh, of course, Thrive Fantasy app, where you can use the promo code EYEZ E-Y-E-Z, for a uh, up to $25 match when you sign in with your first deposit. All prop bets, fantasy uh, contests, don't have to worry about the pros. Uh, entering 150 different iterations of lineups. Uh, just uh, go ahead and pick the prop bets you like, make them, and win cold, hard cash. Uh, Higgins extension talks 
Uh, Josina Anderson uh, says that uh, there's rumors that uh, they're talking with one Hollywood Higgins about extending him. Uh, even Odell Beckham Jr. tweeted out extendo uh, to uh, call me Wood on Twitter. Uh, so it looks like the Browns are talking about an extension with Higgins, which sure as hell makes a lot of sense. Uh, you need wide receivers uh, that you can depend on. He is one, uh, has proven that, and has earned that contract this season. And in a crazy statistic uh, that found out there is that he is the only wide receiver since 99 to have two contracts as a wide receiver with the Browns. Now looking at a third. Pretty wild stuff. Uh, Let's go here quickly uh, before we get to the mailbag and get you up and out of here. Let's go here quickly to um, the uh, playoff implications schedule-wise. Let's take a look at the schedule here and uh, see if it is the opposite Uh, of last week, okay? So last week we did the uh, implications for games to watch, scoreboard watching, and uh, teams played uh, not very good teams that are in the wild card hunt in the AFC, which is what we're concerned about. Uh, But right off the bat, uh, you know, Thursday night to tomorrow night, we get a good one finally on Thursday Night Football. The Patriots at 6-6 six and six, uh, as they uh, boat raced uh, the uh, Chargers. They will get the Rams in Los Angeles, back-to-back Los Angeles games for the Patriots. Uh, but they uh, will, uh, I'm sure they stayed out there, but they get the Rams here uh, on Thursday night football uh, that'll be a tough one for the Patriots. I feel like they need to win out to have a chance. Uh, if we go uh, here, we got Vikings and Buccaneers. That's going to be a good game. Giants uh, and Cardinals, that's certainly an uh, interesting game for the Giants and their quest. But here we go now as we start to look at teams that are vying for the same position that the Browns are. The Dolphins get the Chiefs. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say they'll be 8-5 and five after that one. The Titans, uh, unfortunately, get the Jaguars, but the Browns now hold uh, that tiebreaker over them, depending on which team uh, is not the winner of uh, the AFC South. Uh, it will be either the Titans or the Colts. The Browns hold the tiebreaker against both teams now, which is why their percentile to get in uh, is like 80-some percent to get in the playoffs now. Uh, You've got the uh, Cowboys and the Bengals in uh, a game nobody wants to see. Um, The Texans and Bears, Broncos and Panthers, Jets, Seahawks. All right, here we go. Colts, Raiders, two teams vying for the AFC uh, wild card spot knocking each other off. One of them will take an L there, and that will help the Brown situation. This is a <clears throat> kind of common theme this week. 
uh, as we get uh, um, the other big one here uh, is the Steelers and the uh, Buffalo Bills um, and my, on Sunday Night Football. Uh, and uh, I think the Bills can win that game. Uh, that would open the door for the Browns to potentially have a chance. If they were to beat the Ravens on Monday night, it would open the door for them uh, to have the potential possibility to still have a chance to win the AFC North. I'm not so much concerned with that except for just playing good football down the stretch, trying to beat these teams. Ravens, Giants are kind of hot, and the Steelers. I want to win these games going into the playoffs hot like they're there as a contender. So I think the Ravens are, are beatable very much so by this Browns team. John thought it would be the Ravens. I know a lot of people are going to go that way. Um, and uh, I, I just think what the Browns showed against the Titans, if if I trust Stefanski to scheme it up and have a, a game plan ready for the Browns to really, really challenge the Ravens uh, and because uh, they have some weak points. They have some weak points. Um, I don't know how well they can stop the run right now. I don't, they can't get to the quarterback or they're struggling to get to the quarterback. The Browns offensive line could, uh, dominate, I would hope, uh, in what will be a very physical matchup, but an opportunity for the Browns really to just put the hammer down on the Ravens, knock them to seven and six and, a very high likelihood of them maybe not even getting I guess they could probably still get to 10 and 6 because they have their their schedule is pretty easy down the stretch but that just shows you what the Browns are going to have to do is the 10 and 6 may not get it done um so it's good that the Browns are sitting in 9 and 3 but you got that Bills Bill Steelers game uh, you've got this fortunate game here with the Colts and the Raiders where one of them will lose and help the situation out. And, of course, here, a fortunate game where the Chiefs get the Dolphins, and I would thoroughly expect the Dolphins to lose that game. It uh, shouldn't have gone away from Fit, Fitz Tragic. He's the, he's the guy they should have stayed with. And then... Uh, You've got uh, the Patriots and the Rams on Thursday Night Football. Patriots still hanging in there trying to win out and get a chance to get in. That's going to be a tough one for them. Uh, Back-to-back games in L.A. against the Rams on the second half. I like the Rams a lot. I think they are a very good football team. Uh, So that's that. I wanted to cover that real quickly. And last thing we have to do tonight is the mailbag. All Eyes on Cleveland mailbag. Just a couple quick questions uh, from at the DFS report. uh, Wrote into the mailbag. Does the second half of the game against the Titans concern you uh, at all? Uh, And it it doesn't. Um, I think that the 
Uh, Browns are learning how to play with leads, especially leads like that. And uh, that I would have liked to have seen them certainly come out and play the game like it was a 10-point game or whatever. But, you know, fluky fumble at the end or else it ends up like 41-28 and it doesn't look even as close. Uh, even though 41-28, it was never even that close. But uh, I think next time they're in that situation, they'll handle it better. They were just trying to give up. You know, they're willing to trade yardage and at times points for time, and, and that's just sometimes what you have to do in the NFL. Uh, you know, the Titans are no no scrubby team. They can move the ball on people. Uh, the Browns just were able to stop them when it mattered most in that first half, um, which was absolutely huge. At 91, Walt, uh, a new flyer in our mailbag here, uh, writes in, why is Baker playing better, question mark? Uh, he's got two-part question here, which we're going to answer. Uh, some of this was breached a little bit in the interview, but, uh, you know, time in the offense, I think, obviously, time is Stefanski's offense. Week after week, he's taking on Stefanski's, like, mantra personality he says the same things as him a lot, uses the same verbiage. He's, it's, he's rubbing off on him in a positive way. Uh, he looks comfortable, um, and it's clicking for him. It's footwork. It's as good as I've seen it in a long time. You watch the one throw, especially the Landry in the back of the end zone. His feet are always moving. Found him. Boom. Dart right to him back of the end zone. I feel like his footwork is there. I feel like his time in the offense has made him more comfortable, and you're looking at a, a better Baker Mayfield at this point. Let's hope that continues, uh, certainly, uh, as they go forward. Uh, but I think that has a lot to do with it. It's really just time in the offense, time with Stefanski, times with Alex Van Pelt, all those guys, all that together. I mean, eventually it's going to – it's going to start to click, and it's clicking for him right now. Um, or it, it did, certainly, against the Titans, and he has the longest streak in the NFL right now without an interception with 11 touchdowns and zero interceptions in his last five games. All right. Uh, your next question here in the mailbag uh, before we get you up and out of here on All Eyes on Cleveland. At uh, 91, Wall also asks, um, will the Browns address secondary Free agency slash draft next year, uh, just Ward right now. <coughs> Excuse me. Something that we talked about with John Abbott, for sure, a little bit. But, you know, Greedy, I can't depend on him for anything right now. Like, I would like to think that he, you know, they say he's working really hard in uh, rehab. I believe that. Uh, I think he's a talented kid, but I can't anymore account, use him to account for a part of the Browns' future in the secondary. Like, I, I just can't depend on that anymore. So there's that, and and, and I would think that, you know, Ward, you're going to sign to the fifth-year extension. You want to keep him as a cornerstone of that defense. So that's going to be money shelled out to him. I think you want to, uh, if you want to look at being better next year, which of course you do, you're going to look to spend some money on the defensive side of the ball, and where I would spend it is at corner. 
uh, you're going to need a uh, Kevin Johnson on a one-year deal, more than likely gone at the end of the year, uh, not overwhelmed by his performance this year. I think he's been serviceable and good at times, uh, bad at others, but, you know, he's been serviceable when he's been healthy. But, you know, lacerated liver, came back from that. Kudos, tough kid. Um, but I think you need a a corner to play inside in the nickel, and I think you need uh, certainly uh, another corner uh, to play um, either behind Denzel or opposite uh, Denzel um, with, uh, you know, you'll have Mitchell back, I believe, again, um, and, uh, and, and then you should have, you definitely want to bring in a free agent talent to play opposite Ward if you're going to sure up this defense as it is the weakness right now. You do have cornerstone pieces, but you've got to add here and there, and I think any money available would be really well spent at the corner position. So I think free agency, maybe you get two in free agency and one in the middle of rounds of the draft, and then you're looking good right now. Now all of a sudden it's not just Mitch and whatever happens with Greedy and Ward. It's another kid that you're bringing in uh, that you liked and two guys with some experience uh, to come in and battle out who's going to play opposite Ward, who's going to play that nickel uh, and slot coverage uh, or play the nickel corner position. Uh, This has been another episode of All Eyes on Cleveland. I hope you enjoyed. We are sponsored by Bet Online. You can go there and uh, check out any of the uh, lines for this week. As I mentioned, the uh, Browns game opened up at minus one for the Ravens, so plus one for the Browns. Uh, If you're feeling uh, like you want to wager on that, or you can go over to Thrive Fantasy, have our other sponsor and play some daily uh, fantasy prop bets over there, uh, both of which uh, are our glorious sponsors here at the show. Uh, big thanks, big thanks to um, Jonathan Abbott of Pro uh, Football Focus, senior analyst at Pro Football Focus, for coming on the show and uh, doing a tremendous job. Uh, enjoyed his conversation with him very much. Uh, Brad, Browns picked up Marvin Hall, wide receiver from the uh, Detroit Lions. We'll see what they do with him. Um, as I always used to say, you know, you start getting excited, man. It's that time. Start time to get start start getting excited. It's that time. Time to get excited. Uh, we're gonna get up and out of here. Uh, Mikey on the ones and twos tonight, doing a tremendous job as always. Big thanks to John Abbott uh, once again uh, for Mikey. My name is Brad Ward. This has been all eyes on Cleveland, and we are out.